The call. All right. All right, everybody. Hey, guys, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. How many of you guys are excited to be at church today? Come on. I mean, man, we survived the blizzard of April 2018 together. Yes. Yes. I mean, I really, I cannot believe uh, driving around uh, Kearney, I wasn't able to get to the North Platte, but driving around Kearney, I, I was surprised that, I mean, some of the drifts are so high, so high. I just want to take a picture of them and just go, man, you know, take that global warming. So, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't really have anybody to send it to. So I was like, well, that'd be weird. Send it to myself. Hey, look, today we're continuing our teaching series. Uh, it's called The Call, right? And now I, I got, some of you guys were like, man, you were totally excited about this teaching series. And I heard from some of you even, and it was more than one, man, this is going to help me discover God's call in my life. And you know what I pray? I pray that the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, the, the theory behind the series is what if you and I were standing there that day, mending our nets next to the sea of Galilee and Jesus comes by and he looks you in the eye and he goes, come follow me. And then we dropped everything and we went on the journey to come follow him. Then what would that call continue to develop into? Because one of the things that's a fallacy in Christianity is that I've given my life to Christ. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. Like, that's it, right? No, that's not it. Like when Jesus said to those first disciples, hey guys, drop your nets. Or he said to Matthew, leave your tax collecting business and come follow me. It didn't end there. It just kept perpetuate, perpetually building um, on the call. Like Jesus keeps asking for more and more and more and more in our lives. And so what, what, what I want to do is we go through this journey is I want to help you maybe stop at some places where you may not have ever noticed it as a call from Christ to just take your relationship with him deeper and deeper. But I want to help you go to some of these places. So to jump in and get started with that today, I got to I got to kind of like take a little survey. All right. So look, get your hands free. Okay. Cause you're going to want to cheer. So if you got coffee, sit it down or whatever, or, you know, just get ready to, you know, participate with me. Okay. Cause I, I need to know, I have to take a survey of our North Platte campus, everybody worshiping with us at our, our Carney campus. Even if you're at home right now, like put down your bagel. All right. <laughs> Cinch up your robe, get ready to participate. Here we go. All right, here you go. So how many of you guys would consider yourselves to be morning people? Let me hear morning people. Okay, all right. Not, not too bad, not too bad. The first service, if you can imagine this, the first service was way more morning people. I don't, I can't figure that out. All right, all right. So I'm hoping now, and I've, I've given you like night people even a little extra time you know, to warm up to this, because I know some of you, you woke up at 1030 and you just got here. So I, I understand that. All right. So let me hear it. For, let me hear it. All right. On three. Let me hear it from the night people. Ready? One, two, three night people. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I'm not even a genius. I, I'm a borderline genius. I've been told that by a few people and I take that as a compliment. Um, so, so here's the deal. We got morning people. We have night people like Morning people, night people, they're totally different people, right? How many of you guys are married and you're, you're a night person married to a morning person? Let me see those hands. All right, keep those hands up. Yeah. Okay, look, now I'm just going to be, be brutally honest with you, okay? Uh, I do counseling. I wouldn't call myself the best counselor in the world, 
But I do it. I guarantee you one of the areas I can help you with is if that's your problem, okay? If it's a morning night issue, I can help with that, all right? How many of you guys would maybe consider yourself to be, how about this one? You never heard this one before. Afternoon people. Yeah, okay, we got some, you're not morning or night. You're like, I would love to live in Alaska all winter, people. Like the sun comes up at 10, it goes down at 2. That's my life. Love it. I'm an afternoon person. Like no one's even ever asked you, right, if you're an afternoon person. That's crazy. Like where does thoughts like that come from? Please delete that from our recording. Um, So there's all kinds of different people, right? And uh, night people, you know, they get frustrated with morning people because morning people come beep-bopping into the office like, hey, guys, it's awesome, man. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. We're so excited to be here. And the night people accidentally spill coffee on them. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. It, It happens. It happens. But let me just ask a couple of questions. Like, would it be okay, all right, just culturally, all right, let's just see how 2018 plays out. Would it be okay for a night person to miss an important meeting at 7 a.m. just because they're a night person? Would that be okay? If you're a boss, definitely not, right? No, of course it wouldn't be okay. Okay, what about this one? Would it be okay for a morning person to invite you over to their house for dinner and some entertainment, but somewhere in the middle of the night, it got too late, it was like 7.30 at night now, and they decided it's time to go to bed. And so they just go to bed and they leave you in the living room just to like see yourself out. Would that be okay? Okay, no, but some of you have done it, haven't you? Okay. <laughs> you, maybe you, you felt like doing it, right? Where you had that quiet whisper to yourself like, when are they going to leave? Dinner was at 6.30 at 7.45 and they're still here. I can't believe that. Right? Like when are they going to leave? Um, So, yeah, of course, that wouldn't be okay. And that's because one isn't right over the other. A morning person or a night person. Like, one isn't right over the other. In fact, there's moments when you have to yield to the weaker side, right? You don't want to, but you have to. And in the same way, there are the go, go, go people, right? And then there are the the, people that like to sit and think and ponder people. And I'm just going to say this to you. We need both of those in our life. Like we, need, we need both because neither one of them is right. There's times when I, I don't want to get up in the morning, but I have to get up in the morning. There's times when I would rather go to bed, but I need to stay up late because of the assignment or the mission or people or whatever. And today in the call, as we continue the journey with Jesus, you're going to hear Jesus drive home what I would consider to be an extremely powerful concept. And that is this. Don't let the better keep you from the best. That's the call you're going to hear Jesus say. Don't let the better keep you from the best. Oh, it might be, it might be better, you know. I mean, one thing is better than the other thing. But yeah, that's great. But is it the best? Yeah, but I, I believe this. That's at least better than what those people believe. Well, that's great. But is it the best? Like, I do this. It's better than doing that. Yeah, I know. But is it the best? And don't let the better keep you from the best. That's what you're going to hear. And to launch into this, we're going to go into a a passage of Scripture that maybe many of you have heard. Okay, And when when we read the Bible and we come across passages that are more familiar to us than others, then we know one thing we need to battle, right? The one thing we need to battle is, I already know it. Like, I already got the truth out of that one. I, I can tell you that one already, Jeff. Yeah, that's great, but you know that you can read the same passage a hundred times 
And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can help you see 100 different truths. Because the word of God is alive. So today I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. As we look at, don't let the better keep you from the best. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you, right? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I mean, come on, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, right? And Mary has discovered it, and it's not going to be taken from her. So today... To help us glean this call of don't settle for the better when you can have the best. Um, What what I want to do is I want to take this passage and just break it down verse by verse. Because there is a a story here that we've got to glean. There's a a lot of truths that are here that we've got to take in. And you'll never take it in if you just read a passage like that. And then you go, okay, done. So in your own personal Bible reading, please be careful. Um, It's... It's better to do a devotion. It's better than not doing a devotion, that's for sure, right? It's better to do a devotion, but is that the best? See? So let me help you in this passage, not just settle for the better, read through the passage. Let's glean after the best through this passage together. Let me just kind of show you maybe a little bit how that's done. So let's go back to the first verse. Verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. All right, there's a few things going on here. Jesus is traveling from the Galilee region where the sea is at, and he's traveling down to Jerusalem. Does anybody understand or know why he's moving? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem because he's going to hang on the cross. He's going to give his life. So Jesus is the only one that knows that. He's traveling with his disciples, so let's just call that 12. So there's 13 counting Jesus, and they're traveling along from the north to the south, and they're going to pass through this village, Bethany, where Martha and Mary live. Now, you may have heard these names, Martha and Mary, because Martha and Mary also have a brother named Lazarus, of which Jesus has gone to this village before many times, actually, because they're all friends, That's one of the reasons why he's passing back through here again is to see his friends, right? And to encourage them and to bring life to them. And he has been here before because he's raised Lazarus from the dead. We know these things. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this is their hometown. It's about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. You got to go out of Jerusalem, up the Mount of Olives, back down, not even all the way down the other side. And that's where you're going to find this village. So Jesus is about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. He's making his way into Jerusalem where he's going to be giving his life. And here he comes in a complete surprise, right? Because there's no texting. There's no Snapchat. Little video sending you like, hey, over here by the, by the Jordan River, coming to your house. Like, there's no warning, no nothing. And this knock on the door. Now, what happens when you get a knock on your door today? I, I know how our house is. Like, what in the world? Someone's knocking on our door? Were you expecting somebody? Like, nobody just comes and knocks on people's doors anymore unless, 
unless it's like a can drive or, you know, some cute little girl wants to sell you, you know, overpriced cookies and all that kind of stuff. So they're yummy, by the way, buy them all. Okay. So we just like, we don't understand that. But in this day and age, there was no warning. And there was just like this knock on the door. And I want you to notice something about who, who answers the door. Number one, Martha answers the door. And it says that this attitude of Martha is that she welcomes them in. Now, if you had a bunch of strangers show up at your door this afternoon, would, you, would, you, would your house be ready to welcome them right in? Or there need to be a little bit of like a stand outside, I'll be right back moment. And then you turn around, and you're like, pick up the dirty clothes, quack. Like, put the cereal box away. It should never be in the bathroom in the first place. What are you guys doing? <laughs> right? I mean, it would just be like, it, it could end up with this quiet yelling so that they don't hear you. And you turn back around and you kind of open the door slightly so that you can see, like, I'll be right back. <laughs> but that's not what she does. She opens the door. She welcomes him in. That's important. You've, you, you've got, if you really want to glean this story, you've you got to hang on to that. Like, she, she welcomes him in. You can almost see her with this, like, instant smile on her face. Jesus! Oh, man, you're here again? We're friends? This is, oh, man, good to see you. And you brought, you brought everybody with you, the whole town. Okay, come on in, guys. Like, come on in. Come on in. There's room for everybody. All right, she welcomes them in. You got, you got to hang on to that because this picture is, it's a lot like what Jesus, or what the Gospels, or what the, excuse me, what the New Testament says about Jesus in Revelation 3.20. It says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. There's this picture that Jesus here is pointing to himself and he's saying, look to this church of Laodicea that he was writing to. Look, you guys, I'm knocking on your heart's door all the time and you're not hearing me. Like I'm knocking. I want to come in. I want to have a meal with you. Like I want to have a relationship with you. We see it now as, man, I want to invite him to come in to be my Lord and leader because I, I, I want to follow him. Right? Of course, I don't want to just have one meal with him. I, I want to be, I, I want to be close to Jesus. And he's given us this picture and the church he's writing that to in Revelation isn't getting it. But here's Martha, here's the knock, and welcomes him in. That's where we want to be found. Like if in all of history, anything was to be written about you, if it was just simply this, Jesus knocked at the door and you said, come in. If that's all that was written about you in history, that'd be plenty. Because it would tell you all kinds of stuff about the person. So that's where we're at. Jesus, Martha, welcome, come on in. What happens next? Her sister Mary, after being welcomed in and everything, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. One of the interesting things about this scripture here, this picture, is that it's being painted for a few different reasons. I just want to tell you about a couple of them. Number one, I I, I think that you're going to see this being written this way by Luke, and he's remembering this when he's writing this years later He's remembering it because it broke all the cultural norms. That's one of the reasons why it's being written. Like For Mary, her role at that moment of time in history 
and in their culture, it would have been for her to go and be preparing food and getting things ready. And how can I serve you? I basically, I want to be a waitress to you if I can, if I can meet any of your needs. It, it was a little bit beyond hospitality. It was almost like you, you have to do this. See, hospitality is awesome when you want to do it. But if, you, if the want turns into the, I have to do it, then the whole attitude goes away. And many times in this culture, you would have found it was, I, I have to do it. Now, I'm going to be nice to you in doing it, but I have to do it. I think that's one of the reasons why you see Luke writing this is because it's so anti-culture that it stood out to him. But the key reason why it's written in here is for our benefit. And that's because here Jesus is in the house. And what does Mary do? She is trapped in awe of the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. It's like it's in this moment she recognized Jesus, God. All I can do is be at your feet. I'm in awe of you and I'm all of your wonder. And Mary recognized this to be a very, very special moment that called for her to break the cultural protocol. She went back and she was practicing basically what you read in the Psalms. In Psalms 46, when it just simply says these words, Be still, Mary, and know that I'm God. Being still and just taking in the fact that Jesus was there with them. He, he's among them. Now notice something. What does it say about Mary? She's not talking to Jesus. She's listening. She's listening. Like if we had our 60 seconds with Jesus in our living room, we would be really tempted just to tell him about all of the things we need him to do. Like, hey, Jesus, man, hey, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but my cousin's really sick. You think we can, you think he can like, like send a little prayer? Like send a little healing that way? Jesus, look, we're really tight right now. And man, I don't know if we're going to make the mortgage payment. You, you know, here's my bank account. Can you add like a few zeros? We would be really tempted to do that, guys. I mean, in all honesty. But here's Mary, and you know she has needs. Everybody has needs. I have needs. But what does she do? She just sits and listens. Like she recognizes that I'm in the presence of Jesus. This is a moment for me to glean. And she was taught, the Bible was saying, She's, just, she's not just listening because like it's the nice thing to do. Like, I'll listen to you, but I don't really care what you got to say. No, she was listening and being taught at the same time. She was helping us to see that when Jesus is so prevalent in our life, what should we care about most? Gleaning his ways. Gleaning his ways. Just listening to him. Hearing what he has to say. Totally different than what happens next. In verse 40. But Martha, she was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I mean, come on. Tell her to get up and help me. Tell her to get up and help me. Doesn't this just show us such an interesting like, contrast between these two sisters? But what is it really that Martha's doing? Martha has moved from, I welcome you into my house, hug, kiss on the cheek, like sit in the place of honor, I'm so excited you're here, to now she's in this kind of like funk, if you will, like she's distracted and she's all caught up, but her act that she starts out doing is an act of love. 
I want to I feed you. I want to take this opportunity to show you how much I love you, Jesus, and your followers, and your disciples. I'm going to prepare the very best meal I've ever made in my entire life. I'm going to make it for you. But in the midst of the act of love, she ends up being distracted. And she's focused on all kinds of other things. Right? Like she's like mixing up these eggs, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, man, oh, I can't believe it. I forgot the dog. The dog's still outside, so i got to take care of the dog. Like I'm mixing up the eggs, and then, oh, man, I can't believe it. Like, I don't have any corn. She runs outside to the neighbor. Boy, here's a couple bucks. Go get us some corn. Like, we need it now. She's mixing up the eggs, you know, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, I think I left the towel in the bathroom. Boom, right? And then back again. Like, she's so distracted. Have you ever been at someone's house? Seriously, have you ever been at someone's house? They welcomed you in. They invited you over. You got there, but the... The host is so caught up in all of the details that they're running around taking care of stuff. They spend the whole time in the kitchen and they don't spend any time with you. You ever been in a moment like that? I know I have. And it's not, it's not like the most comforting thing. You almost kind of feel like you've become a little bit of a nuisance, even though the person doesn't want you to feel that way. Like, they're, they're just trying to, like, do what they said. Like, I invited you for a meal, and I have to keep, keep preparing all of this. i got to keep doing it. And for them, it's an act of love. But for you, it's kind of catching you off guard. And Mar- Martha was running around all over the house, distracted so much that Jesus is noticing it. His disciples are noticing it. They're feeling the awkwardness of it. And the distraction is going to prove to be, Mar- to be Martha's big flaw. Because in her desire to please Jesus, she lost sight of enjoying Jesus. She settled for the better instead of the best. In fact, she overlooked the most important. Jesus was right there with them in person. And so in the midst of all of her distractions, it escalates to this last phase where now she is frustrated. Frustrated enough that she's going to bring a family crisis and she's going to throw it. She's going to basically, if I can use this as a horrific picture, vomit it onto the table for Jesus and his disciples to deal with. Like if, if you've got people over to your house, and I know, come on, couples, families, you've had people over to your house and you've got a little bit of tension going on, right? And what do we do as couples? Like we give the look. I gave you the look. Now, I know the look more than my wife knows the look. All right, I get the look. I know the look, right? And that look means basically this, like, we will be talking later. <laughs> it's that look. I don't think that you just got away with that because friends are over here. Like, we will talk, right? And that's kind of like, she, she comes out to Jesus. Picture this. Here's Mary knelt down at the feet of Jesus. Little innocent Mary. Like gleaning everything she can from Jesus. Martha comes over, sweat's coming off of her brow, you know. There's flour all over the place. You know, she's still got a spatula in one hand and you know, like probably some kind of knife in the other hand. That's nowhere where you want to be in a frustrated moment. And she walks right past Mary, right to Jesus. Like, Jesus, don't you see everything that I'm doing? This is all love for you. This is what, I mean, this is love, man. And look at her. She's doing nothing. Don't you care about that? I mean, Jesus, tell her to get her lazy self up and help me show love to you. Because that's what I'm doing right now. Showing love to you. I enjoy so much. Like, ah, I'm enjoying this love. 
right? Because I'm settling for the better than the best. You can hear this in her voice. In fact, when I was studying this week, like for the first time, this thought jumped off the page at me. Like you can hear, you can almost hear in Martha's voice this slight hint of jealousy in her voice. Martha loved Jesus, but the jealousy was coming because she didn't know how to enjoy Jesus like she was watching Mary do. So in my frustration, I'm watching this sister of mine just enjoy Jesus, but I can't enjoy him because I'm caught up in the better than the best. I'm just going through the emotions. So what does she do out of her? She goes from welcoming all the way to this place of dysfunctional. She's not even herself. And so she tries to inflict guilt and shame on her own sister by letting Jesus be the heavy hand. I mean, that's some serious awkwardness in the living room right now. Right? And that's where we all are. We're sitting in the living room in this passage of Scripture with them. It's all coming to life for us. Commercial break, right? I mean, that's a perfect moment for a commercial break. What happens next? Here's what happens next. But the Lord said to her, after all this chaos, like, I'm loving you. Tell her to get up and love me. Love you too. Right? But Jesus said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and you're upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it's not going to be taken from her. It's not going to be. I mean, just notice this. The gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of how he de-escalates this scenario. Notice his gentleness that he doesn't even tell Martha that what you're doing in preparing this meal is wrong. It's that your heart is wrong. Like you're doing it with the wrong heart. Because you settle for something that's better than the best. He goes, I can tell it's your heart because, look, you're, you're worried. You're anxious. All this is coming from inside of you. You're upset and you're troubled. And maybe at that moment, he just kind of almost wants to whisper to her, and this is the last time I'm even going to see you, by the way. And you don't know that. But he knows it. He knows it. And so he just says, Look, it's your heart. Like, it's not even what you're doing. It's your heart behind it. You've, you went from, like, welcoming me to this really defunct place. So, church, it is possible to do the right things, but would do it without a heart of worship. God said this about his own people in Isaiah chapter 29 when he said, These people say that they're mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Today, I mean, God's coming to us today, and he's going, look, here's the thing. You can go through all the motions. You can say all the right things out of your mouth, but I, I'm looking at your heart. And so many of us, we're settling for what we can say that's right and do what's right, and that's the better. Oh, it's, it's way better than what you could be. But it's not the greatest. It's not the best because it hasn't impacted and infiltrated the heart. Or maybe it's this. It once infiltrated the heart. I welcomed Jesus in. I heard him knocking. But now I'm in this like place where I'm totally distracted, going through the motions. I'm settling for the better than actually wanting the best. And there's another example that Jesus gives us of this. Takes it to another level of extreme 
of our actions settling for those being better than the best of just our heart being in love with Jesus. He said these words in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, on judgment day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, like we prophesied in your name, we even cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. But Jesus says, I'll reply to them and say, I never knew you. It's a dangerous place to be when we settle for the better instead of wanting the best. It's a dangerous place. And Jesus is trying his hardest at this moment to bring Martha back to the front door. You go, Martha, you remember when you just welcomed me? Like, let's go back there. Let's just go back there. I'll go outside again if you want me to, and I'll come back in, and let's just, let's just redo this. Like, just come and sit down. It's not even about the meal anymore. Right? It's just come back to the front door and let's sit down. But she had drifted from the invite to be with Jesus. That was the invite. The knock on the door and Jesus coming into the house was just be with me. She had drifted from the be with Jesus to what can I do for Jesus. And that's why Jesus said there's only one thing, Martha, that really matters. Mary has chosen it and it won't be taken away from her. Why? What's the one thing? Me. Jesus. I'm in the house. And Jesus is in the house today. He's in the house. But if we focus on what we can do for Jesus, the joy and the peace of the action, it will be taken away from us. If all your attention is what you can do for him, you'll lose the joy and the peace of that quickly. Isn't that what happened to Martha? Like she started out, I'm going to do this out of love for you. She quickly lost the joy and the peace in that and moved to this point of being frustrated, even attacking her own sister and acting out of character. And that happened with just in a few moments. What happens in our life over, the, over a period of weeks or months or years when we're just in this act of doing, settling for the better? Oh, I'm doing things for God. Isn't that better than, you know, getting drunk every weekend, Jeff? Yes, it is, but it's not the best. And you settle for that, you're going to lose the joy and the, and the peace in that. But if we focus on being with Jesus, if that's our primary focus, be with Jesus, then the joy and the peace it never gets taken away from you. So what is the call from Jesus today? Seek the best. Seek the best. But the better will often be the enemy that keeps you from the best. That's what will happen often. And let me give you an example of this better, best thing, just to wrap up today. Jesus was with his disciples, and John the Baptist, um, who you know, baptized Jesus in water, which, by the way, next week we got water baptism, so you're going to want to be here, okay? It's going to be a big celebration. It's going to happen at all of our campuses, so you're going to want to be here. Um, but John the Baptist, his disciples come to Jesus, and they ask this question of him. It says, one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like, like we do and like the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. He, he's boiling it down to this. Jesus said, there is a better fasting like, don't lose sight of that, guys. Yeah, fasting is better than just gorging yourself. Fasting, yes, is better than just self-serving. Yes, fasting is better. 
However, right now, what you don't understand, disciples of John the Baptist and Pharisees, is that my disciples are with me, the best. Right now, they have the best. Why should they settle for the better when they have the best? There will be a day when I will be gone. And there was a day that Jesus left them. But now, they have the best. Church, I want you to know today, we have the best because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus Christ living within us. We have the best. Don't settle for something that's just the better. It is better, yes, that's true, for you to come to church this Sunday than for you to stay home. But just because you're here practicing the better, don't let that rob you from experiencing the best, God's presence today. Oh, it was better for you to be at church today than to just stay home. That's true. But today, some of you, you need the best. You need salvation Don't let the fact that I made it to church today be the best, because that's just the better. The best is surrender our life to Christ, get in communion with him, be close to him today. So my encouragement to you is this. Take the next few minutes to sing and to lift your voice to the Lord and even praise him. But also in the midst of this worship and response time that we have together, take some time just to quiet yourself before the Lord. Can can I even maybe challenge you with one more thing? Why not today, at some point in our worship, come to the front in any one of our auditoriums, get out in the aisle way, go to the back, here at our, you know, Carney campus, go up into into the balcony if you want, find a place, kneel down before the Lord and spend a few minutes Not just singing the songs to him, but just spend a few minutes while the worship is happening and the atmosphere of the presence of God is cultivated in our midst. Just sit there with Jesus for just a few minutes. I would just say this to you. It might be the most refreshing experience of worship you've had in months. Because Jesus is in the house. Don't settle for the better. Seek the best. That's the call today. Seek the best. Why don't you stand with me as we go into a time of worship? Lord, from this passage, there's so much going on. First and foremost, Lord, I'm, I recognize the fact that you have knocked on the door of our hearts, and many of us have said yes to you, and some of us are hearing that knock on our heart today, and it's time to say yes. That, Lord, we hear the knock of your spirit on a weekly basis. You want this time for yourself. You're jealous for this time. You want this time of worship to be totally committed and dedicated to you. You want this church to be a church where your presence can move and you can have your way. And Lord, I pray that over these next few minutes that in individual hearts, they would, they would allow you to have your way. That we would praise you and we would lift our hands to you because there is a moment for that. But there is also a moment just to kneel down and in the quietness of our own heart, just to be in your presence and just to let you speak to us in whatever unique way you're going to speak. Even if you don't say a word, just to be silent in your presence. Lord, it's greater than anything. So Lord, will you show up in a powerful way? Show up in a powerful way at New Life Church over these next few minutes. Draw us close to yourself. Let your will be done. You've knocked on the door. You're here in our midst. Let us not be distracted with just the singing of songs. Let us not be distracted with just going through 
the service order. Let us not be distracted by the fact that we just even made it to church today. Let us not settle for the better. Let us seek the best, which is you, Jesus. And as we find you, we find life. In Jesus' name, amen.